everybody. Welcome to episode 60 of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period is going to join us momentarily. I was just thinking about this today, thinking about the Bet Parks app, and I'm going, I can't wait for Tones Takes to come back on to give us some NHL plays on the Bet Parks app. Ooh, it's not that far away. I'm ready to go. Let's get it started. Uh, get the Bet Parks app because just because, you know, the game's not back on the ice yet at the pro level doesn't mean there's not something to wager on. You've got preseason football if you want to really be, you know, get into it or just maybe some light wagers just to have a little fun watching the preseason games. Live game, in-game betting, same game parlays, odds boosts, player performances, first to score, exact score, you name it, quarters, whatever you want to gamble on. You can get your action in on the Bet Parks app. Plus, we're only a week away from the college football season. So there's a ton to get ready for. Not the least of what you mentioned is, you know, obviously you have the golf, the BMW this weekend in uh, Wilmington, Delaware, or you've got Formula One, or you've got tennis, but you also have the remainder of the baseball season and headed into the postseason. So there's tons to wager on on the Bet Parks app. So do yourself a favor and take it from me. The Bet Parks app is everything you want. In a mobile casino and sportsbook, easy to use, easy to navigate, easy deposits, easy, you know, get your cash back easy as well. Easy withdrawals, you name it. It's all there on the Bet Parks app. So sign up today and it's faster to win than ever before. And if you sign up, this is actually for new and existing users. Use the promo code Jason750, Jason750, and that'll get you a risk-free bet up to $750. Again, new and existing users, terms and conditions do apply. So grab the uh, download the Bet Parks app today. You're not going to regret it. You do need to be present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Some may say there's not much to talk about right now in the world of the NHL and in Flyers land. I say bullshit. We bring him in right now from the fourthperiod.com. TFP. It is Anthony DeMarco. What's going on, Ant? Doing well, buddy. How about you? I'm doing good. And I say bullshit. There's a lot to talk about. Oh, yeah. Some- Interesting angles of conversation as World Juniors winds down. Rookie camps around the corner. Players will be reporting in the next week or so for captain skates. It's about ready. This is like the final calm before the storm. Yeah, not to mention from more of a league-wide perspective, we got a pretty big free agent signing yesterday and a subsequent trade, uh, aka a a cap dump, kind of giving people an idea of what it would take to move a significant contract at this stage of the offseason, or all offseason for that matter, is Sean Monaghan, once a legit top-line center, only 27 years old, has to be packaged with the first-round pick to dump him, and obviously Calgary Flames use that cap space to hand a... $49 $49 million contract to Nazem Kadri. So, I mean, it, it, one thing about this summer, and maybe it's because of some bizarre dates, obviously the draft was in July, free agency was in mid-July, but it feels like all summer we've heard, we've gotten like big news trickled around here and there to keep us talking on some on some level. Yeah, I, I was surprised. Like, obviously everybody thought Kadri was going to the Islanders and Lou had a deal in place and was just going to, you know, do what Lou does and not announce it and had to clear some space. But ultimately, I guess he wasn't able to clear space. And Tree jumps in, Brad Tree living. I mean, what an offseason for Calgary. It's such a bizarre situation because they lose Goudreau on a, after a 115-point season. Kachuk is gone. He's in Florida. They get Huberdeau. They get Uyghur. 
They get now Nazem Kadri. I mean, they got they, they replaced what they lost, and they may be a better team, not long term, but right now than they were the one that finished the season. Oh, my girlfriend just made a cameo, but <laughs> yeah, but uh, I agree. Honestly, like at this stage, obviously this is like incredibly premature, but I would say like tree living's an early candidate for GM of the year. Like yeah. the fact that he was able to basically get kicked in the pills, losing his two best forwards and come out with a roster to what you said is arguably better in the immediate future is insane. And they discussed this yesterday on TSN 1050 radio, their host, Brian Hayes said this almost verbatim that instead of tripping over your, their lip and saying, Oh, woe is me. Poor us. No one wants to play in Calgary. They just absolutely refused to acknowledge that and accept that. And look, is Nazem Kadri going to be worth $7 million all the way until he's 39 when he's locked up? No. no. Is Jonathan Huberto going to be worth $10.5 million in four or five years from now when he's in his mid-30s? No. But the thing is, is that this is a team in a win-now window. You have a top-five goaltender in the NHL. You have a top-three defensive center in the NHL in Elias Lindholm. You have arguably the best and deepest defense in the entire NHL. You have a rising up-and-coming player like a guy like Andre Maggiapani. And this wasn't a time to really just play the woe is me card and like just get basically they had a free pass to take a year or two back. Like yep. if you're Brad Tree Living and you fans go to your owner, yep. fans would have understood it. And if you're transparent, you go to your ownership. I believe their their primary owner up there is Murray Edwards. And you say, look, nothing we could do. He didn't want to sign. He forced his way out, all this. But instead of doing that, what Brad G. Living did is, look, he made some you know, risky moves. He obviously hands out some contracts that are surely not going to age well. But as one person would say, specifically Brian Hayes said, is that you are now proving to other players that Calgary is a franchise that is committed to winning. And for a defenseman like Mackenzie Weger, who is obviously a pending UFA, you just see your former teammate and current teammate Huberto get locked in. You see them bring in a guy like Nazem Kadri. It goes a long way to show players that you're committed to winning and will go a long way in convincing players into signing with you long term. Yeah. And it's amazing. And because here's, you know, one of the narratives around the NHL, and, and it's been pretty true is that players don't want to sign long-term to play in Columbus because it's a smaller city, smallish city. It's a college town with Ohio State right there. And players don't want to play north of the border for a couple of reasons. Canadian media, tax situation, American dollar versus the Canadian dollar, all those reasons. We haven't seen a cup winner north of the border since 93 when the Canadians won it with Patrick Waugh. But this offseason, you have arguably the biggest name free agent, Johnny Gaudreau, ending up in Columbus long-term. You have what took place in Calgary, guys leaving. But like you said, Huberto, I mean, they had that dinner in Montreal, tree living in Huberto. Then they got a deal done a couple. That must have been the most effective steak dinner ever. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I hope that, I'm sure Tree picked up the tab for that. But And now you sign Kadri as well. So a lot of the, the old narratives about where players want to play I'm not saying they're fully shifted, but this is a big shift this offseason. Well, like, look, you hear about, you know, teams that, you know, kind of get the benefit 
uh, because of their geographical location. You hear about, let's say, the Florida Panthers or Vegas now. Obviously, New York has always been that team. And, you know, when a lot of people said, you know, well, the Flyers didn't have Artemi Panarin and Jacob Trubo choose them willingly. And that's all well and true. But I do think that while some teams get a geographical advantage right off the hop, there is a way that you can operate your management team and your franchise that will entice players to sign with you regardless. And, you know, like you look at a team like the Ottawa Senators, okay? And, you know, we were talking a bit off the air. Obviously, Claude Giroux from there. Obviously, family is a big priority for him at this stage in his career. But, like, I think the way that Ottawa operated this offseason is something that will go a long way in attracting big-name free agents. And look, like I just said earlier, you are always going to be behind the eight ball if you're in a Canadian market, most more specifically out west in Winnipeg or the Alberta teams. You're going to be behind the eight ball if, let's say, you're an American team like Columbus or a smaller market team. But if you show a commitment to winning and you show a commitment into wanting a player like Tree Living did, flying here to Montreal in the middle of the summer, you know, whining and dining uh, Jonathan Huberto, overpaying for him, but still I think a contract that's worthwhile, especially given the players that they lost, there are ways to overcome a geographical disadvantage. And, you know, like was discussed yesterday on TSN Radio, it was so easy for Brad Tree Living to play the what was me card, he had basically carte blanche this offseason and be like, well, what do you want me to do? Two of my best players walked away and he said, screw that. And he brought in, he, he did the best you possibly could given this situation. And look, in three, four some. years, <laughs> and then some. And like, look, if you ask me like from a long-term perspective, are they better off than they were? Obviously not. You know, Kachuk is 24. You probably have two contracts in Kadri and Huberto that aren't going to age perfectly. Yeah. But as early as next season, Jay, like mm-hmm. I was thinking about it yesterday, like you could make a strong case that they're a cup favorite going into next offseason. Yeah. Or next I, season. Rather. Certainly in their division. Right. I mean, I mean, are they the better team in their province? Mm, I would say so. I, I'm going to say that as long as Edmonton doesn't sort out that goaltending, like obviously yeah. you signed Jack Campbell. But you could always speak to this better than me in the goaltending position. But Jack Campbell, I think he is an upgrade, obviously, over Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen. Although you would be an upgrade over Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen. But I would say so because you look at the defense. They don't have that stud number one guy, but you have a lot of like very good number twos and threes with Hannafin and Tanev and Shillington and Anderson, Mackenzie Weger is now somewhere, can be playing somewhere in there. You can make the case he's their best defensive right away. You have a really deep center depth uh, position now with Elias Lindholm, who I think is the most underrated center in the NHL. You plop Kadri in there. Now you move Michael Backlund down to the third line center spot. I think a lot of this will come down to how a guy like Andre Mangiapane kind of uh, excels in a top line role. You would assume yep. that he's going to be pushed up there to compensate for the departures of Kachuk and Gaudreau. But in my opinion, I would give the slight edge to Calgary at this point. But as we saw in the playoffs, we have McDavid and Drysaddle. It's very easy to go the other way. 
Yeah, and and they may be a, a wagon in the regular season, but what teams, you know, more positioned to perform in the playoffs? That's that's ultimately what it comes down to. Harmon Dale put out uh, this tweet yesterday: Kadri thirty-one, Markstrom thirty-two, Huberdo thirty, Backlund thirty-three, Tanev thirty-two, Coleman thirty, to Foley thirty. He said uh, Calgary's recovered extremely well, but with the thirty-plus talent they have and no under twenty-four core pieces. Calgary's got two to three year window before they run into some real trouble. And he's absolutely right. But uh, yep. tree living, like you said, he could be, a, he's an early candidate for GM of the year. If it works out on the ice, I think he's going to nail it. Um, conversely, you know, they had the, uh, the athletic, I think Dom Lucizan did the, the athletic GM rankings according to fans and the public. And while Calgary's performed very well this off season, Chuck Fletcher and the Flyers front office did not ranked 32nd in the NHL. Do you put any stock in this? I mean, it's a public and fan poll, right? And as soon as yeah. I saw that Dom was writing that, I said, okay, here we go, <laughs> Flyers related. Mm-hmm. And look, we know the vitriol that has been shot at the, the Flyers' way from the fans. Uh, Frank Saravelli talked about it on his podcast a few weeks ago about how he has not seen this much vitriol towards the Flyers' front office probably ever. And Frank's been around the Flyers' beat for how long now? Almost 20 years? yeah. And, I mean, people have completely turned on Chuck Fletcher. I'm not going to blame them. Obviously, I, I don't think he is as do it is as glooming, doom and gloom as maybe some people have made it out to be. But from a fan and public perspective, you know, I don't think it's surprising at all that people absolutely hate this guy. And it's gotten to the point now where when any move is made in the NHL, everyone has to just kick rocks at Chuck, uh, Chuck Fletcher. Yeah. Like, you know, like Monaghan gets traded with the first round pick attached to him. People start saying, oh, well, that's what it takes to win and move money, commitment to winning. You sign on some cadre. Oh, well, you know, that's what you have to do. Like, who cares how it look at the end? It Because basically what Calgary did was exactly what Chuck Fletcher would have had to do had he wanted to sign Johnny Goudreau, right? Like maybe yeah, on a smaller scale. Yeah, it's exactly the same concept, Exa- like right down to the final transaction yesterday yeah. of moving a big contract to bring in a big name free agent. And look, I think that Calgary is much closer to winning than the Philadelphia Flyers are. But from that fan perspective or that that pull from the public, I mean, I wasn't surprised at all that they came in 32nd. How about you? No, I wasn't surprised either. You know, a lot of times, you know, you look at it, and these polls and the reaction and the way you answer them is based on this exact moment. It, it, it's based on the here and now. It's not based on projections going forward or anything like that. And that's just the way it is. Like That's how you live as sports fans. You live in the moment a lot of times. And it's easy to say tear it down and rebuild, and that's how they look at the future. But uh, in the moment, they're pissed, and rightfully so. And the way it's gone and – and what was communicated and what took place are two different things. So I get why, you know, people are, fans are hurt. <laughs> you know, they're yeah. wounded by what's taken place and where they are right now. And, you know, this, this season is going to be so paramount to what the next five seasons are going to look like. You know, Chuck is a guy that a couple of years ago, nobody would have said a bad word about him. You know, when he hires A.V., and he goes out and makes the goodest deal with Niskanen. And he goes out and he makes the deal to get Pitlick with Ryan Hartman. And he brings in Kevin Hayes and it all works even without Nolan Patrick around that entire season. Mm-hmm. But things change quickly in hockey. 
And, you know, there's been some, some bad decisions and there's been some circumstance and things in his control and things out of his control. And the fact of the matter is they are where they are. They've earned where they are. And that's, that's it. End of story. Right. I think they're a team that, like you said, you know, we don't see some of the things that are coming. And I think that Brent Flair and Chuck Fletcher do a good job when it comes to drafting. I know you talked to some people about it. Like look at Mil Andre in world juniors has been just a revelation. He's not ready for the NHL. Like immediately people see a player having success and wherever they are to go, is he going to make the team this year? No, he's not ready for that, but he's developing very nicely. Yeah, I spoke to someone with the Flyers who's attending the World Junior Hockey Championship and asked specifically about Emil Andre, and he will play for HV71 in the Elite League, and then they're going to sign him, I would assume, following the season's end, and bring him over next season. You know, the one thing also I was told is that Sweden has, you know, a good track record of developing D, so the Flyers are very, like, comfortable with keeping him track record (laughs) very good track record so the flyers are very comfortable keeping him over there but you know like this is a guy that has controlled games with the puck since his draft year and now he's really showcasing it as one of the older players in this tournament and i believe we talked about last week that this is a tournament that typically is for guys a year or two post their drafting obviously exception connor bedard case in point but this is a this is a tournament where guys who are 19, 20 years old, two years post being drafted, typically are given a platform to shine. And look at Emil Andre. He has been the absolute horse for that Sweden team. Very skilled, competitive, controls games with the puck. And this is a guy that I think that down the line is going to prove to be a good draft selection. And I think that, look, it's easy to get caught up in this and it's you have to be very careful because you know we talked about this in the mid 2010s under ron hextall when he was you know dubbed the drafting guru and in the end he was just an average drafter not Mm -hmm. exceptional not terrible just heavily average but i think that even going back to minnesota you could see that chuck fletcher and brent flair more specifically brent flair has a really good eye for talent And I think that you're seeing a lot of guys that the Flyers have drafted since that regime got here in 2019 that you're saying, like, not only could these guys be NHL players, but, like, they have a chance to be some impact players. And obviously, you know... Not a superstar, but an impact player. Yeah, and and look, impact player, like, that's extremely subjective, right? Like, what that could be. But, I mean, the Flyers, I don't think have been in a position to draft a, a superstar type player. Maybe that's Cutter Goatsy, but that's so far down the line. But I mean, you, you see a couple of guys here just at this tournament. And I look at Den Y.A., who I was told is now going to probably be a center for the long haul. I know drafted as a left wing, but he prefers playing center. So I kind of see him as maybe a 3C as a complete ceiling down the line. You see Tyson Forster having a pretty good tournament, which is kind of impressive. All things considered being buried behind guys like McTavish and Bedard on that high octane Canadian team. And then you look at Emil Andre and look, do the flyers need another skilled left shot defenseman? (laughs) Probably not, but it is kind of an embarrassment of riches. And I think that if there's one thing to maybe be positive about, it's that the flyers drafting under this regime looks fairly above average. Yeah. And you know, Andre is a guy to me, he's very 2022 NHL type player. 
Not that he's yeah. ready for the NHL, but I mean, this era of professional hockey, he's built to play the way that the game is played right now. Like creative, can skate, possesses the puck extremely well, and obviously has an eye for the net and has been able to find the back of it. So um, I, I think he's going to be an interesting dynamic guy to keep an eye on. I'm going to have to check in with Joachim Grumberg and uh, get the latest because Yoki's over there. He's the Flyers director of international scouting and is in Sweden. So let's get some download from uh, Joachim on him as well. I know he's really been keeping a close eye on him, obviously, because of the geographic part of it. But um, he's an important player that is developing. And I do like the fact that he's over there developing in that Swedish mold of defense. I mean, look at the guys that they have produced that country on, on blue lines across the league. I mean, yeah. they know what they're doing when it comes to developing D. And, like, look, even a guy on – and, look, this is, like, a much less significant level, but even a guy like Adam Ginning, who was drafted actually under Ron Hextall, I believe it was 2018, where, like, almost as soon as that draft pick was made, like, it was dubbed a bad pick. Like, yeah. everyone hated that pick. And now he's coming over to Lehigh next season, and, you know, he will need time down there based on my understanding. But I asked specifically, like, is he a guy that can maybe become like a Robert Hag in the future? And I was told, yeah, mm -hmm. that's a very fair comparison. But he's a bigger guy. We'll need to play more of that, you know, physical role. Hag, I don't think what he was overly physical. Um, he could throw when he hit, body. he was heavy. He was a heavy hitter, but he didn't hit a ton. But I mean, he came out of juniors as as an offensive defenseman. Yeah, he had to change his game a lot. Yeah. And so. I think maybe that would benefit Ginning be that, you know, he's always kind of been that bigger body as opposed to Hag. Like, I remember when they drafted Hag, what was it, 2013, I think he was drafted? Yeah, yeah around there. Like, I think he was in the Moraine year, if I'm not mistaken. And I remember, like, people telling me, like, oh, yeah, you know, like, he, he could run a power play, he jumps up in the rush, and then he came over to North America and he had to completely change his game in order to become an everyday NHLer, as opposed yeah. to Ginning. I think he's always kind of been that stay-at-home, big, rugged, and tough guy. You know, if he could learn to play the right side, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> it would be nice yeah. if some guys could play the right. Although I guess Ronnie Adderd kind of t checks that box. But yeah, I just think that the Flyers have, and look, this is a Ron Hextall pick, so credit to him. But I think the Flyers, especially on defense, like it seems like they kind of have like a never ending wave of guys who theoretically seem to be any have NHL at least caliber ceilings, not to say superstars, but can play everyday minutes. Like even a guy like Igor Zamula. Like yeah. I think if Igor Zamula put on 15, 20 pounds of muscle mass, he would be in the NHL this year. Yeah, and he had that I, sickness that sucked 20 pounds right off him last year, that didn't help. You know, now he's no. going to almost start from scratch about putting weight and muscle back on because even last year in his short stint with the flyers like i think he played fairly well like i think his underlying numbers mm -hmm. were well the only defenseman that i saw last year who came up and just looked like complete ass and you know i don't want to be mean but was hogberg hogberg was a he guy actually that scored just, a goal <laughs> yeah he scored a goal but he was yeah. not a guy that looked He's good an but, NHL player. yeah yeah which is fine you need those yeah. guys but you look at guys like Adderd and Ginning and Zamula who are in the AHL, and then you look at Andre who is going to go back over to Sweden. I know that they've been high on a guy like Brian Zanetti who plays for Peterborough, I think, in the Ontario League. Yeah, and the Peets. Yep. Yeah, they, they have some good – and he's a guy that also battled injuries this year. 
But like, look, he's uh, they're they're in good hands. I think obviously you would want a guy like Provorov to step up as that true number one guy. But I mean, it certainly gives you options, especially with a guy like Travis Sanheim entering a contract yep. here. Big time. That's exactly where I was going to go with it, because you know, do you? We're still in this pseudo flat cap world. If you can fill that role, maybe not to the same degree, but to a close degree for that second pairing left side guy that can provide you offensive bursts, get into, you know, create some offense, jump up in the rush, then and that you're not paying, that you're paying on an ELC, it allows you to spend in other places. And if Sanheim has a really good season, he's going to get paid, you know? And, and if you're out of it and you're not trending toward a playoff team and a lot of, you know, I'm not even talking about playoffs yet because I think it's way too, I can't even come near that prediction right now. But when you look at it and go, okay, you might be able to get a number one for him at the deadline and have another, you know, bite at the apple in the 2023 draft in the first round. Yeah. Well, especially if you would extend with the team you traded him to. Well, like Sandheim's a guy that, you know, I've kind of asked about if there's been any contract talks with him, haven't really gotten a straight answer. You know, the Flyers sometimes come out of left field with extensions, kind of like with Couturier last year. I think it was around this time that they announced his contract extension. But, like, maybe it could save you a couple hundred thousand dollars, maybe half a mil. But I find, like, if you were to extend Sanheim right now, like, it would really tie your hands in a lot of ways. Because I feel like you'd almost be tipping your cap that he's the guy you're going with over Ivan Provorov. As opposed to if you leave Sanheim unsigned and a pending UFA. And like you said, I think if you get to the deadline and he's a pending UFA and he's having a, a season similar to last year, people are going to have a lot of um, intrigue on a guy like Travis Sanheim. And yeah. look, I look at, I look at Sanheim like he's played very well over the last 18 months or so. Last year was obviously an incredible year for him. You can make the case he was the team MVP, I think, in a lot of ways. Agreed. But like he's a guy that I think that and you've said this numerous times, like they've unlocked him as a solid five on five number three ish type of guy. I think on a cup team, he's like the anchor on your second pair. And, you know, I look at a guy like Sanheim, like six, six and a half million is kind of what mm-hmm. he screams to me. Like anything six more than six and a half. Yeah, something like that. Or maybe you go max term eight years at six to bring the overall value down or the yeah. AAV rather. That's how where I see him. I don't think he's a top pair guy. That's just me. Seven times seven on the free agent market, though, if he, oh, yeah. you know, pending who goes to market. And if he has another good year, he could be a seven times seven guy. Is he a guy that you would be comfortable with playing on your top pair? No, it's not a top pair for me. Yeah. I just I don't see him in that role. Um, I think he's right in there as a super good second pairing left side guy that you can get him some matchups that aren't quite as taxing defensively. Because I, I think if you put him on a top pair, then you're taking something away from his ability to join the rush and get up the ice because it's more defending than it would be in some of the matchups that he'll get. But t- to me, I go into this year, I don't sign him. I go into this year yeah. and – I see, I, I, I gained some knowledge under Tortorella on Provorov and Sanheim. And if I am out of it, you know, one thing that that I've been critical of Chuck on, on too is, you know, signing guys when they're expiring, when your season is in tatters. Now, I was for signing Lawton in that situation because I thought the cost for replacement 
was would have been far more than what they paid him. And we didn't know at that time that the following season was going to go in tatters as well. We thought maybe they could rebound and be more like the team from 1920 coming off a shortened bad season. That wasn't the case, obviously. But then Ristolainen, I would have traded him at the deadline because I thought I think you could have got value for Ristolainen for one of those playoff teams. And look, you can always re-sign the guy. If you, yeah. if you want to sign, you can go into free agency and re-sign him. It's less likely, obviously, but uh, you still can. So um, I would go into the season weighing my options. And and because of what you said before, too, you know, there's a lot of depth in the system for defensemen and left-side defensemen. And one of the guys that's not a left-side that you mentioned, too, is Adderd, who showed, showed me flashes of yeah. a guy that I think is an NHL player. I mean... You saw some of the ability to defend. You saw a lot of mistakes. I mean, he had a dash four or maybe even a dash five in a game. Um, but he rebounded from it, and we saw some of that offensive ability. Like, the goal he scored on Jack Campbell. You remember that goal where he goes yeah. short side, bar down? I mean, yeah. that was absurd, that shot, going down the right side and just wired one. And I remember talking to him after. I said, Ronnie, I didn't see that coming. And I, I guarantee Jack Campbell, after you scored that, was like, I didn't think he could do that. <laughs> you know, like that was a snipe and it, it was unbelievable. So um, we're going to get to the five most compelling storylines. We're going to count them down from five to one. Um, but before we get to that, you sent me this tweet and uh, naturally I'm going to have an opinion on it. It comes from <laughs> Mitch Gallo and he says, crazy that Lundquist, Luongo and Price all got to a Stanley Cup final but couldn't win. And he said, I've said it before. Don't build around a goalie. It's the last piece, not the first piece. And so I want to get your thoughts on it first, because I certainly have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, well, well, the notion of building around a goalie. Well, look, uh, Mitch is a guy who uh, works for TSN Radio here in Montreal, really good guy, often very mm -hmm. opinionated, and I like uh, hearing him. Uh, I feel like sometimes he just goes out of his way to ruffle feathers, which is funny. But I think that the root of what he's saying is true. I'm, I'm not sure if he, it's the last piece that you get. I think that that may be pushing it a little bit. Like, I don't think that, you know, going out and picking Michael Layton off the waiver wire is basically the best way to go about it. But I do agree that building your entire philosophy around a goalie is something that's dangerous because of the examples he's given, like Montreal did with Price, Vancouver did with Luongo, the Rangers did with Lundqvist. And I think it's there's a difference by saying that like your goal, like building your entire team around a goalie as opposed to your goalie ultimately being your best player. Because we've seen over the last decade how many times the goalie was the main catalyst in a cup victory quick in LA Thomas in 2011 with, Bo with Boston Vasilevsky in the back-to-back -back years, you know, arguably Jordan Bennington, all these guys were, you know, Consmith winners, Bennington, not so much, but he certainly got them to where they need to be, especially after Jake Allen was so inconsistent. But one of the common trends with all these guys is that when you look at Boston, they weren't building around Tim Thomas. The guy was, what, 32 years old, 33 years yeah. old? Jonathan Quick came out of nowhere. That was supposed to be Jonathan Bernier's job. 
Jonathan Quick was a nobody. Bernier was the big-time goalie prospect at the time. Jordan Bennington was playing in the AHL with Boston's AHL affiliate. If it wasn't for (laughs) Providence, if Billy Husso wasn't hurt, he would have got the call up when Jake Allen got went down. You know, Vasilevsky, a bit of a different situation, obviously the 20th overall pick or whatever in 2012. But again, even him, like, I don't think that he was the main piece in that build, that team building philosophy in Tampa. You have Hedman, you have Kucherov, you have Point, you have Stamkos. So while all these guys ended up maybe being their team's best player, it wasn't like the entire franchise was built around these goaltenders. See, for me, Ant, you can't build around a goalie. It it, it defies logic because and this is coming he doesn't play on a line. He doesn't play with other players per se. It is the alienation of the position. It is the man on an island. The team is in front of him, and he's part of the team and a huge component of it. But this whole notion of building around a goaltender is bullshit. Like what Mitch says, I I actually agree with him in part. To me, it's not about building around a goaltender because I don't think any team has ever built around a goaltender. You know, the Penguins drafted Marc-Andre Fleury first overall. But then they also drafted Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, and Sidney Crosby. So, you know... Can you see, did they build around Mark Andre Fleury? No, they've built a team. Um, really, the notion of I think what Mitch is getting to, but I don't think he articulated it well, was can you win when you're paying a goaltender huge money? To which I texted Kevin Woodley the tweet after you sent it to me, and we all know Kevin's the 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 goalie guru, the goalie whisperer from Ingoal Magazine. He's been on this show many times. He's he's a good friend, and Kevin said so. I shot it to him, and he said. Yeah, Tampa says hi. <laughs> but but again, to your point, what you made with Tampa, I mean, originally it was Ben Bishop. Yep. And then they had Vasilevsky in the wings, and then when they felt like he was ready, they moved Bishop to Dallas. They keep Vassy. But they also, like you said, they have Stamkos, they have Hedman, they have Point, they have Kucherov, they have Palat, they had, you know, all these guys. They have a team. So this notion of building around a goaltender, and I know some Flyer fans will see that and go, see, that's why you got trade Carter Hart now. Okay. To me, you cannot measure if you're moving forward, if you have Schick goaltending. You can't measure it because Schick yeah. goaltending will pull everything down. Oh, yeah. And look, I think that there's a difference between building around a goaltender and then just having consistency at the goaltending position. Like, yeah. you know, I put out a poll yesterday, like, who's the best goaltender of the post 05 lockout era. And obviously Vasilevsky is a guy that you could make the case for already. But let's say like you you take him aside and you look at guys more like Lundqvist, Price, Rask, all these guys. If you go from a consistency standpoint in the 2010s, I think Tuka Rask is probably the best guy you could find because of I mean, from a cons- yeah. From a consistency would just fall short because he kind of lost the job there in Pittsburgh to Murray. But then he get, then he goes to Vegas and is stellar. So, Has a rebirth. Yeah, but then kind of loses the gig to Robin Lehner. And then goes, you know, so there's a lot of variables to flurry in there. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, Brian Cunningham messages in and goes, the team building around a goaltender is like saying we're building around a punter in football. <laughs> Just don't throw a kicker. <laughs> you, you, you can't. You don't. It's too specialized. So, but the, the notion of, you know, paying a goal a huge money can, 
you know, is it worth it? Like, cause look at Florida, they brought in Bob paid him 10 mil a year on a seven year contract, $70 million. Is that too much? Now their situation I think makes less sense because just a couple of weeks before they signed him, they drafted Spencer Knight 14th or 16th overall in the first <laughs> round. So that was kind of like, well, what are you doing here? Why are you doing well, they that? They were scarred. They they did that because of Luongo's last year where he could barely stay healthy. And who was their yeah. other goalie that they had? I forget. Vokun? You know, it was post Vokun. Was it? Oh, it was Reimer. There was James Reimer. James Reimer, yeah. And like he, and it's weird because Reimer's actually proven to be a pretty solid goalie out in San Jose now after his pit stop in Carolina. And like, look, I think you need consistency. And Toronto. <laughs> And Toronto, yeah. Uh, Optimus Rhyme. I actually liked him in Toronto. It was uh, funny. I too. But I, like I said yesterday in response to Mitch's tweet that I think the best example that you could have of like a goalie who you paid a reasonable contract and when the chips were down, he p- gave you borderline elite level goaltending and certainly in 2012 is quick. Jonathan yeah. Quick to me is the ideal goaltender that you have. You know, I think they paid him like, they locked him in a long-term deal he was never did he ever win a Vesna was he ever like a regular season like you know like elite lever goaltender he had his ups and downs 2012 he was on his other contract he signed that deal after that and he's actually on the last year of that 10-year deal this season (laughs) it was 10 years that, yeah. You see, that's a good contract. <laughs> a good Dude, contract. they got everything from that contract. Like, he still played well last year. And yeah. kind of, you know, tamped down a couple of guys along the way that were supposed to, to grab the crease from him. But he just keeps performing. He's a freak. I mean, I think he's a total freak. He's one of my favorite. You want to go down a YouTube rabbit hole? Type in Jonathan Quick highlights. Holy shit. That stuff he's able to do with his body. I'm amazed he can walk. The thing about Quick, he's a freak athlete and he's a freak competitor. And he's and he's a guy that's dealt with injuries because of the style he plays. Like I I remember in 2012, one of the things that he would do that I found so interesting was that like he would literally like get so far down to the ice to look through people's skates to find where the puck was coming from. He was like a cat. Yeah, he make that. himself really small to to keep keep that chin down. He's a, a guy that's big on head trajectory to track pucks. Reimer's a big guy on that too. Um, and yeah, absolutely. And he will get really wide and really low. Brian Elliott was that way too. Would get real low. Um, yeah. And and really, I'd almost be like, man, you guys got all this size, and then you just make yourself as small as me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but, yeah. And. And I think Quick is a guy that, like, I don't know if he ever won a Vesna, but or if he was ever, let's say, like, or if he was he ever considered better than Lundqvist or better than Price or better than Rask, all these guys. But it seemed like every single time the chips were down and it mattered, Jonathan Quick gave you elite level goaltending. And not to say that he was, you know, a dumpster fire in the regular season, he was always good. But I just think that he's the most ideal type of goaltender you could have. And I think that Carter Hart's ceiling could be a Jonathan Quick. Obviously, he is, he needs to prove it more on a consistent level. But as we talked about last week, if you want to you know, take into consideration playoff hockey, obviously a small sample size for Hart, he certainly played at a borderline elite level in 2020. So I think it is a good point that you don't have to build your entire operation 
around a goaltender like Montreal did with Price or the Rangers did with Lundqvist. But if you could have a guy who's maybe your third or fourth best player, like Quick was in LA, I think that's kind of your recipe for success. And in that situation, obviously 10-year contracts don't exist anymore, but that's a situation where you're paying him a fair amount of money. I think Tuka Rask was the same thing. Rask was making 7 mil a year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, I mean, like, let's say you can get Carter Hart on an eight-year contract because his deal is up in two years, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And he's going to be how old by then? 25, 26? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> and, I mean, I guess that you're ideally, like, the pan where the cap is eight years in between seven and eight million dollars, I would assume, yeah. is where... if you're. But you're also... When I say this, you're also assuming that his... His development kind of stays linear. Like you think yeah. he's going to get better, right? I, I do. I, I think that his numbers aren't indicative of his play because the environment has been so shit. Yeah. You know, it's just, it just hasn't been good for a litany of reasons. Quick from 2010 through the 2017 and 18 season. This is from 25 years of age to 32, which is goalie prime, right? 437 games played. A record of 232, 151, and 47. His save percentage is 919 and a 221 goals against average and 41 goose eggs. I mean, he, he, he's he been in the Vesna conversation a few times. Uh, he was second in the Vesna after the 2011-12 season. So he had a great regular season before that first cup, too. Okay. Fifth in the Vesna in 13-14, seventh in the following season, third in Vesna in 15-16, and then was ninth in Vesna 2017-18. Um, uh, but he's never won a Vesna. He did win, or no, he did not win the caller. He's been an all-star one, two, three, four, five, six times, including last year, <laughs> which is yeah. bananas. So um, I, I think it's a good point. And, you know, I, I would rather not pay my goaltender big money so I can pay more money up front and allocate it. But um, without it, you're going nowhere. And frankly, Montreal would have never got to a cup final if it wasn't for Carey Price. Frankly, He's the only reason. Yeah, and I mean, Price. the Rangers would not have gotten to that final without Lundqvist. They had a chance because they had that goaltender. So um, that's the deal. Um, let's get to the top five. My biggest, most compelling five storylines heading into the season. All right, Ant? We'll start with number number five. And to me, number five is the young guys. It's Frost, it's Tippett, it's York, it's Cates. It's those guys and what they're able to do this year in development. Does Frost have that breakout legit NHL center season? Uh, Does Tippett also become a more prolific goal scorer at the NHL level? with opportunity and consistency and maybe playing alongside Frost. Uh, York, he's going to be on that third pair. Does he take that next step forward? And does that impact the Sanheim situation? And then I love Noah Cates. I had Jackson Cates on the podcast today for Flyers Daily. And and I asked Jackson, I said, the way you and your brother play, to me, it's like very responsible. Your dad must have been a coach. And their (laughs) dad was our coach until they played like, you know, through Bantam. And you can tell. You can tell when dad's the coach because you have responsible play in all zones. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100% about the young players. And, you know, I talked about it with uh, Dan on Brotherly Pod last week. And 
you know, he had said that his biggest, you know, positive for this season would be if all these young guys took a step forward. And you're looking at those types of players. Maybe later on in the season, a Bobby Brink could, you know, shit, come I back from Dan on something. <laughs> Hallelujah. Break breaking news. <laughs> I agree with Dan, the Flyer fan, on something. Uh, and you know you have Bobby Brink that maybe could come back from injury, and you know I carve out a job more consistently. You have a guy like Wade Allison, still unsigned, I'll say, but I can't imagine yeah. he has all that much leverage. Tyson Forster, you know I know that he's going to need some time down in Lehigh coming back from injury, but he's done well. But I think that Lezinski. those are Lazinski always, yeah. and you know is it not shit off or shit or get off the pot time for Tanner Lazinski? Yeah, he just yeah. needs to stay healthy. And that's the unfortunate part. But, like, after a certain point, like, even if health is working against you, do you not kind of have to just, like, I don't know. You can't blame, blame a guy for getting hurt. But, like, after a certain point, you can't keep giving them the bet for the doubt, right, just because they're hurt. Yeah, because cause availability means too much. I can't keep using that roster spot and cap situation on a guy that can't stay healthy. So there is a line of demarcation. Like we saw it with Sam Moran, if he could just stay healthy, but he just never could. Yeah, he was, he was carrying too much body that his joints couldn't, his knees couldn't handle it. So, yeah. That, but yeah, the young guys I think are a huge thing. All right, and even number, Sandstrom. Sorry, before yeah, you yeah, Sandstrom. You're right. That's a big element. I didn't even think of that because he's going to yeah. be the backup goalie. Yeah, to me, it's not going to be a Grossnick or whatever his name is. No, Troy, it's not going to be. I think he's going to be the Phantoms goaltender and you know, call up if a guy gets injured. Yeah. I think it's Sandstrom all the way. I don't think there's much of a goalie battle here at all. No, They'll call it that for obvious reasons to push guys, but I don't think that that will be the case ultimately. Um, Number four, Tony D'Angelo is one of the most compelling storylines because things went well last year for Tony D'Angelo, top pair playing with Jacob Slavin in Carolina. That team was a wagon. But if the Flyers are not winning games, do old habits creep in? Because he's a competitor. Like, I think him and Torts will have battles. But ultimately, like two Paisans, they'll hug it out at the end because they both want the same thing. They're, they'll bang heads because they both want to win so bad. And I think yeah. that's healthy. But, you know, how is that going to work out, that dynamic of D'Angelo Flyers are not winning games like he did, it's easy to be happy when you're winning games. Winning fixes everything in sports. It's the ultimate deodorant. And then the, to take it a step further, what's the d- dynamic of the relationship between Tony D'Angelo and Ivan Provorov, assuming well, Ellis is not healthy? Well, that's the big question mark, right? Like he was brought in to theoretically finally stabilize Ivan Provorov's right side. Yeah. And, you know, from an on ice perspective, he's a guy that is probably the biggest X factor for the Flyers this season, because if he comes in and he gels with Provorov and he could play even to, let's say 90% of the level he played to last year, including what he can do on the power play, it's going to make a huge difference. Like this is a defense for me that will defend less. (laughs) They will defend less. I find they have very good puck movers. Like the only guy who like really can't be trusted, get the puck out of the zone is probably Justin Braun and he's going to be playing as your number six. So that's not something that scares me at all. And Tony, and he's D'Angelo, playing with a puck mover in New York. 
Exactly. And, you know, he's going to have a much more reduced role this year than he has uh, ever since coming to Philadelphia or now in his return to Philadelphia. And I think that the Flyers defense has a potential to have a really high ceiling here. I know everyone's down on Provorov. I know everyone hates Rosmus Ristolainen, but I'm curious to see how Ristolainen will do with more minutes pushed down. I'm curious to see how Provorov will do with a legit top pairing caliber partner. You know, I said it last week. I won't go down that hole again, but I think that Provorov at his best in 1920 played on a similar uh, par or in a similar tier as Jacob Slavin. Maybe not as good, but in that tier. And I think that Provorov is a guy that historically, like I've said, when he has a partner that he thinks, you know, can help him and is playing on a hockey team that's playing meaningful games, he will always elevate his play. And look, D'Angelo... From an off-ice perspective, obviously there's a lot of things that could go sideways with torts or if the season goes off the rails. But from an on-ice perspective, I think he's probably the biggest X factor this year. Yeah, I think it's a huge one. I totally agree with you. Um, number three, biggest storyline for me, most compelling storyline heading into the season is the return of Sean Couturier. While Tony D'Angelo is a huge X factor, Sean Couturier in year number one of an eight-year deal, coming back from back surgery is I don't have much, you know, worry about him. There's a little, and he's so important to the team. To me, he's their most important player and has been for a number of seasons and not necessarily their best player over the last couple of seasons, but most important player because of what he does at all zones, uh, the 200 by 85. Sean Couturier's return is a huge storyline for me heading into the season. Yeah, you know, coming off of back surgery, hasn't played since, what, December of last year. And another thing is, like, this is the first time we're going to see Sean Couturier in a top-line role where he doesn't really have Claude Giroux on his wing. And now, that's not for me to say that Giroux carried him, but I'm curious to see how his offensive game will play out without Claude Giroux on his left side. You know, the, assumingly he's going to start the year on that top uh, with um, Travis Konechny or Cam Atkinson. The left side really up for grabs with Joel Farabia. Will it be Lawton? Will it be Cates? Will it be JVR? We don't really know. But I mean, if Sean Couturier can't get to even close to where he was in, let's say, 1920 or 2021, you know, this team won't really have that much of a hope in hell, right? And yeah. I'm just curious to see. I have no doubt that even with the injury his defensive game will still be at an elite level i'm just very curious to see how his offensive game is um especially at five on five like i've said it numerous times that i would not force feed him power play minutes i would assume that he will start on the first power play unit i'm not sure if i would go there just because you want to save his minutes for five on five primarily but uh, I think that his five on five offense is the biggest question mark for me and not so much a question mark, just an intriguing thing going yeah. into this season. Yeah, he, he to me, very important player. And we'll see what uh, he yields this season. Number two, top five most compelling storylines heading into the 22-23 season. How about the Provorov-Sanheim dilemma? Well, we talked about it earlier and we talked about the depth at the left side. But to me, this is going to be something that's going to be incredibly compelling throughout the season. You know, what does Provorov and Sanheim do under Tortorella? Because ultimately, that will determine who's here long term, 
one, both, neither. We have no idea. But to me, that's a big, big storyline. And just shoring up the defense and the, the D-zone structure, those two guys are incredibly important to that because of the trickle-down effect and the effect it'll have on the goaltender as well. Yeah, no, and this is a this is a big season for both these guys, and I would I would say that it's damn near impossible that both these guys are on the roster in twenty three twenty four, just because of the organizational depth and the salary cap. And you know, Dan and I kind of ran through it last week on Brotherly Pod that if you move on from let's say Sanheim or you move on from Provrov and give Sanheim Pro Provrov's money or close to it, you're going to have about sixteen seventeen million dollars in cap space. And, you know, with guys like York, with guys like Zamula, with guys like Andre, I think they can afford to do that. And look, I think that based on the last 18 months, uh, Sanheim's probably in the driver's seat, probably a bit more ahead of the eight ball. But if you ask me, I think Provorov's ceiling is much higher. I think that at their best, Provorov is the better defenseman. I think that his contract situation is more favorable you know, I know a lot of people say that Provorov is paid to be an elite level one and this and that. He, he's really not. You yeah, know, if you look at it, if you look at his three most comparable contracts, pure cap friendly, it's Essa Lindell, it's Josh Morrissey, and it's Matt, and it's Matt Dumba. And to me, those are all, you know, if you ask me like solid number twos in the NHL, in the case of Matt Dumba, maybe more of a number three playing behind Brodeen and Spurgeon. But he's paid as a very good number two defenseman. And maybe that's what he is. Maybe that's what yeah. he is. I think he's more of a low-end one. But, I mean, now you're kind of splitting hairs. But as opposed to Travis Sanheim, that we said he's more of a second-pair guy. Elite-level number three. I think Provorov's contract situation gives him a bit more of an edge and more of an attraction for the Flyers to keep him, as opposed to Sanheim that's going to be due a new long-term deal and is a year older than Provorov. We can't discount that completely. But uh, either way, I think that one of these two guys won't be here probably come the trade deadline and maybe by some grace of God as they're in the playoffs, probably by the draft. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it's going to be another one of those real big storylines heading into this season. And, you know, with all those guys that they have in the pipeline on the left side, it could, it could make one of those guys expendable. But you got to be careful. You got to get this right. As of, right now, it, get it right. <laughs> as of right now, which way do you lean? I think that the way I'm leaning, and this is obviously is based on no knowledge of who's going to perform with torts. Yeah. Um, but to me, it's Sanheim's the UFA. Sanheim's the guy on an expiring deal that could get you a number one pick in next year's draft. So to me, it's more likely that Sanheim is gone. But I can't discount the fact, you know, Provorov was salty at the end of that season last year. He's got to have self-accountability yeah. or else that ain't going to wash with torts either. Yeah. So if that if that's not there, then Sanheim gets extended and Provorov gets moved. You yeah. know, it's just the fact of the matter. Um, the number one storyline heading into the 22-23 season, it's real simple. It's five letters. It's T-O-R-T-S. It's torts. He is the most compelling storyline because not only is he a huge personality, a coach that's had a lot of success, um, but he, in my opinion, he's just what the doctor ordered for an organization that's lost its way, that's lost its DNA and its identity. And he's a guy, I think, that can bring that back. The task will not be easy. It's not a guarantee that he will. But to me, that's the biggest storyline heading into this season is torts and the weeding out process. That's the biggest storyline going into the year. 
he's pretty much the face of the franchise this year, is he not? And I, I think so. And look, I, I do think that I'll speak for myself personally that like I kind of have to catch myself from time to time trying not to like give this guy too much credit. Like we, we have to remember that he isn't the reincarnation of Jesus Christ himself and yep. that he's not going to, you know, put on the skates himself and single-handedly drag everyone up to their absolute ceilings. But he's a guy that I think, although most people universally hate the way this offseason went, I think everyone can kind of agree that he's someone that everyone is excited about. And that most people, even outside the Philadelphia market, think will do a good job here. And someone that they think that the Flyers needed. You know, I've said I said it before. I think he's a guy that will finish out his contract in Philadelphia. I don't see him being fired in the immediate future. I think he's a, a coach that, for the first time in a while, has carte blanche with these players. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's going to be a situation where, you know, like they pull the rug out from AV, although that was kind of self-induced, or a guy like Haxtell, who everyone turns on at the end, more th- so the fan base. I think he's a guy that is being brought in to kind of weed out the bad apples here. Yeah, And I create that identity again create the identity you know that's what this offseason is about right like changing the way the flyers are viewed you know although people hate the contract myself included like delorie is a guy that was brought in for that very reason as well and you know you bring in torts who is going to come in stabilize the defensive structure obviously special teams is going to be at the forefront of that so um uh, what's the Bradshaw will be a big part of that as well. I almost said Brad Larson, but he's the coach down yeah. in Columbus now. Yeah. So, I mean, the coach and Rocky and Thompson too on the power play. Rocky Thompson, obviously, he was a feisty player at the same time. It's going to be yeah. very interesting to see what kind of co- what kind of impact the coaches have on these players because this is a team that it's very it's damaged goods in a lot of ways. But can yeah. you salvage any of these? And I think there's a, I think there's a lot of good players here. No elite players, but there's a lot of good players. Carter Hart, Chavez Konechny, uh, Ivan Provorov. These are all guys that I think have a lot more to give than we've seen in the last eighteen months or so. And the coaches are going to come in here, give them a brand new um, open uh, sheet. I'm using the wrong analogy, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And uh, page blank slate. There you go, blank yeah. slate. And I think that uh, it's like we've said it. I feel like the theme for this year is going to be shit or get off the pot. And yeah. I think Torts is going to kind of be the judgment. Should on, that be uh, the hashtag? I think so. Shit or get off the pot. Like who? Like now or never. Player... Now it's shit or get off the pot. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what players is that not time for? Hayes, yeah. Katori, and Atkinson. Like, yeah. I mean, aside from those guys, it's shit or get off the pot for almost every player on this team. And yeah. maybe that's an environment where there's not too much. I think it's important that for the first time in a while, the Flyers main players aren't comfortable. And I think Torts even mentioned that is that I think it's good to sometimes like not like get, make it an uncomfortable environment for yeah. players. The, yeah, you got to push playing... yourself, make yourself uncomfortable. And look, and this is not to to you know you know throw shade at guys like G or Simmons or Voracek, but I think that those guys were in very comfortable positions since 2014, mm-hmm. where they knew. And look, they were good players more times than not. Like Simmons, 30 goal guy, Giroux was amazing, specifically 17, 18. Voracek always good for 65, 70 points, but 
they knew no matter what, they were always coming back. And, and this get, scene, and get power play time. And they were, yep, I agree. It was like, you know, anyone could be the coach. And you knew that Vorchek was on one side, Giroux was on the other, and Simmons was in front of the net. You knew that yeah. was the power play that Lavi kind of put into place 11 years ago. But I think for the first time in a long time since early Peter Laviolette days, there's a lot of uncertainty for a lot of main players on this team. And I think that uncomfortable environment, that environment of saying like, shit, like, am I going to be here next year? Is my spot secured like Sanheim and Provov on the left side because of the organizational depth, like Travis Konechny on the right wing because of the organizational depth? like Morgan Frost, because maybe he sees a guy like Elliot Denye playing center for the juniors and uh, Cutter Goatsy being drafted. Maybe now these guys are going to be like, okay, like I have to come back. I have to play well this season, or maybe I'm not going to get another second chance. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's torts, it's torts, it's torts. And I can't wait for it all to get started. All right, we're going to wrap it up, Ant. Great job, as always, fourthperiod.com. Read dance stuff there with TFP.com. Looking forward to it next week, man. We'll rank her up once again. Thanks for doing this. Uh, and uh, we'll talk next week. Take it easy, Goodbye. man. Enjoy your weekend. There he is. Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period.com. Great stuff from him as always. And uh, another fun filled episode, episode 60 of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Oh, I can't wait for the season. We're going to announce uh, something coming up in the next couple of weeks, too. We're going to expand our coverage for Stick to Hockey Live. So uh, look forward to announcing that. I'm not going to give you all the details right yet, but we will give them to you eventually. And I got to tell you about Bet Parks because, like I said in the beginning of the episode, I can't wait for Tone Stakes to come back on to give us some hockey plays. It's not that far off. And Bet Parks is the app to get all your action in, not just on hockey. You can get it in on Football, preseason football, college football next week will kick off. You've got the remainder of the baseball season and then the playoffs. You can have uh, player performances you can bet on. How about same-game parlays, live in-game betting, odds boosts? You name it. It's all there. First to score, exact score, so many things to bet on. And you got to check it out on the Bet Parks app because it's simple to use, easy to navigate, faster to win than ever before. So download the Bet Parks app today. And take it from me, you're not going to regret it. You're going to love it. Love it. Easy deposit methods, fast payouts, you name it, all there on the Bet Parks app. And new existing users right now, if you uh, use the promo code JASON750, J A S O N 750, that'll get you a risk free bet up to $750. Some of these other places, yeah, they go like risk free bet up to 50 bucks or 100 bucks, even 500 bucks. Nobody is going up to $750 on a risk-free bet. So, again, the promo code is Jason750. Terms and conditions do apply. Download the Bet Parks app today. If you need to be present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey, gambling problem, call one. All right, we'll be back next week for another brand-new episode of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. In the meantime, everybody, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the week. We'll talk to you next week on a brand-new episode of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Have a great week, everybody.